It'd be my joy if you'd open up your Bibles and join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's appropriate that today we are learning about how Jesus and Jesus alone's grace is enough for us. It's appropriate on a covenant Sunday because that's the testimony for 15 years as not our greatness, not what we've done, but how Jesus' grace has been enough and will always be enough. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we hear Paul write this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I must go on boasting. Though as there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should boast, wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning. Help us as weak people, as helpless people, as desperate people. Lord, even for the people in here right now that don't feel like that describes them as weak and desperate and helpless, Lord, I pray that you would convince us this morning that that is so. That you would convince us of our weakness. That we would be overwhelmed by the power of Christ upon us. Lord, we need this message today. We need it today. And Lord, some of us will need it next week. And some of us will need it next year. And 10 years from now, 30 years from now, Lord, we will need to know that your grace is sufficient for us every second of our lives, that Jesus is enough. So would you help us? We ask you, Lord, please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Kittius, altius, fortuus. That was the motto of the Olympic Games from 1894 to 2021. Kittius, altius, fortuus. Three Latin words that mean 
faster, higher, stronger. It's the hope of every Olympian. It's the hope to run faster than the next guy, to jump higher than the next girl, to be stronger than everybody else. But it isn't just the motto of the Olympics. No, it's, it's the theme of all our lives. Faster, higher, stronger. It's the theme of every workplace that you walk into, that people want to move up and get ahead, or every locker room, every classroom, to be faster, higher, stronger than the next person. It's the theme of Instagram, where we all want to appear stronger, where we all want to look more beautiful and more impressive. I know it's the theme of my life when I wake up in the morning. I want to be faster. I want to be stronger. I want to be higher. I want to be more impressive than the day before. And sadly, it's even the theme too often in the church. Even among weak sinners whose only hope is a strong Savior, even among the church, we want to be faster and higher and stronger than the church across town. Or faster, higher, stronger than the church on Twitter. Or even faster, higher, stronger than one another in our own covenant community. This is why we do everything, to be faster. We want to look busier. We want to look more productive. And that's why we're over-hurried and we're over-worried. It's why we do anything to try and be higher, to rise above, so we can get the credit, so we can get the glory. We try to be stronger, and we don't want people to see our weaknesses, so we only lead with our strengths. What if I told you this is not the way of the Christian life? What if I told you that this is not the way of Jesus? The way that we find Jesus, the way we experience Jesus. What if I told you that God's will is not faster, higher, stronger? No, God's will just might be slower and lower and weaker. It might be God's good and gracious will for you. Slower, lower, and weaker. I mean, that's what Paul is teaching us here in 2 Corinthians 12. It's what he learned painfully through suffering. It's what he learned through this thorn in the flesh that was given to him. He he learned that, that weakness is not a weakness. Weakness is not a weakness. No, weakness is the way to experience the power of Jesus. The resurrection power of our Savior. And I'm praying this morning that we would get this, that we wouldn't shy away from our weakness, but through our suffering, that that we would believe with all our hearts that His grace is sufficient for us, and his power is made perfect in our weakness. 
The first thing I want us to see today is that our suffering is God's sanctification. Our suffering is God's sanctification. Fancy Bible word that just means the way that he makes us like Jesus. I mean, we've seen for weeks that Paul has every reason to boast in his abilities, in his gifts, in his experiences. Like if Paul was running the same playbook as these super apostles, he would literally win every single time because he, no one could compare to his boasting. And in fact, it reaches its pinnacle here in the letter in, ver, in these first six verses because he talks about an, an unmatched experience, literally an incomparable experience that nobody else has had. He tells the story about a man 14 years ago who went to heaven. And any close reading of this passage can see that Paul is humbly talking about himself. Humbly trying not to boast, but at the same time talking about this supernatural out-of-body experience where he is caught up into heaven. Think about John in Revelation. That's what Paul is beholding. He gets to go to paradise. He gets to experience God's presence, to behold it. He says here, he gets to see things in verse 4 that man may not even utter. can't even Say it out loud. We can't even put it into words. I mean, talk about ammo for your ego, right? I mean, it's incomparable. There's literally no greater story that you could have if you went to your next cookout, right? I mean, think about everybody standing around the grill and somebody's like, hey, I'm, I've been to the White House. I've actually walked inside the Oval Office. Another guy's like, well, I went to the Super Bowl. Wow, that's pretty. Super Bowl? You went to the Super Bowl? Another guy's like, well, I went to the Taylor, I'll say girl, Taylor Swift Eras Tour. <laughs> VIP, like backstage passes, which really I think those are the same thing. Super Bowl, Taylor Swift Tour. See how those go together? When all of a sudden the guy says, oh, Paul says, yeah, I've, I've been to heaven. I mean, talk about you win forever. Every cookout, every family reunion, you win forever. You've been to heaven. But because, he says, his heart is prone to arrogance, just like all of ours, prone to be lifted up too high. Listen to verse 7. So to keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Now, before we get into what this thorn in the flesh is, I think we need to think, see two important things. First off, Paul calls this thorn a messenger of Satan sent to harass him. So, so Paul gives credit to Satan, uh, our relentless enemy who's seeking, the Bible says, to steal, 
kill and destroy, who's like a roaring lion seeking to devour us, Peter says. Satan sends this trial in his life to distract him from Jesus. Like Satan is hoping that this thorn in the flesh will distract Paul from the future glory that he had seen in heaven. To distract him from Jesus. But second, notice that Satan is not the only one working in this suffering. God is purposing this suffering. Like God is purposing the best laid plans of Satan for his purposes. How do I know this? Well, because Satan does not care at all if you're being conceited. Satan doesn't care if you're being conceited. Satan is overjoyed with these false teachers who are puffed up and full of pride, and he would love nothing more than Paul to join right in with them. But God's using this suffering, Paul says, to keep him from being conceited. He's saying to keep me weak, to keep me desperate, to keep me humble before him. So what's this thorn in the flesh that's sent by Satan, that's purposed, though, by God? We don't really know what it is. A lot of scholars, a lot of commentators think a lot of different things. Some think it's a physical ailment, like it could be his poor eyesight stomach issues, migraines, something chronic that won't go away. Other people think it's some kind of psychological struggle. He talks about his anxiety that he has for the churches. It could be an ongoing temptation that won't subside. Others think it might be these false teachers of the gospel. People that are attacking the gospel and twisting the gospel that are coming against the work that he's done in the churches. Here's what I want us to get. That the thorn in the flesh is anything that Satan can use to distract you from the glory of Jesus. But God is intending to use to make you look more like Jesus. So think about that. The thorn in the flesh is anything that Satan could use to distract you from the glory of Jesus. But God is wanting to use to make you look like Jesus. God is purposing that it would help you look and love Jesus more. I mean, there's so many things that that could be in our lives. So so many things going on in our lives that could distract us from Jesus or draw us to Jesus. I mean, maybe for some of us this morning, it's a physical ailment. It could be chronic back problems. It could be cancer. Maybe it's some kind of psychological struggle, a a crippling anxiety, ongoing depression, a struggle with assurance or a panic attack. For others, maybe it's an ongoing temptation that you just think, God, if you could help me put this to death forever, I would have victory or or a never-ending trial or a very difficult relationship. It seems like it'll never be reconciled. And maybe this morning you're just like Paul in verse 8. And 
you have been pleading with the Lord to take it away. Whatever it is, you've been pleading with the Lord to take it away. Maybe you read verse 8 and you're like, three times? Are you kidding me? Like, I've begged God to take away this temptation, to to fix this relationship, to, to bring this person back into my life, to heal my broken heart. Not three times, thousands of times. And this morning, your heart is saying, God, why are you not doing anything? Like, God, why are you not listening? Why are you not answering? God, God, you said that faith as small as a mustard seed was big enough to move a mountain. Why can I not move this, God? And what I want God's word, this word to teach us this morning is that God is is doing something. I want you to believe with all your heart in the midst of your suffering that God is doing something, that our suffering is God's sanctification, that that suffering is never for nothing. It's always doing something always doing something. For Paul, this thorn in the flesh was a gift of God to keep him, he says, from being conceited. Well, maybe this morning, whatever you're walking through, God is using to make you more desperate for him. More dependent on him. Maybe he's wanting to make you more patient, more gracious, more content, more loving, more joyful even in the midst of suffering, that you might be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Listen, God's will for your life is not your ease or your comfort or your happiness as much as it is for your holiness. He wants you to look like and love Jesus with all your heart. This is Romans 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. All things are being used to conform you to the image of Jesus, even Satan's best plans. God's using to make you like Jesus. That's why Job can say, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I'll never forget talking to a sister one time after someone in our church had walked through a, a loss of a little one. And I remember we were standing outside in the parking lot, and she just mentioned this severe mercy, this hope-filled reality even in the midst of suffering. And she said, you know, in light of eternity, they wouldn't want it any other way. In light of eternity, they wouldn't want it any other way because God, in his good grace, even through the severe mercy, is making us like Jesus. The second thing I want us to see is that our insufficiency and God's all-sufficient grace. See, 
Paul, in his mind, when he's pleading with God to take it away, Paul only sees two options on the table. The first option, Paul says, is God could take this thorn away, and this is going to lead to to freer, more fruitful, more joyful ministry. But the second option he's thinking is, or the Lord could leave it, and he could leave me miserable. He could leave me discouraged. He, he could lead, leave this ministry helpless. Well, praise be to God that God always has a third option. God has a better plan. And here's God's plan. God says, or, or Paul, what if I give you grace? What if I give you grace? Look down at your Bibles at verse 9. It says, but he, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. When when Jesus is saying this, he's he's not just saying, my grace is enough for you. Jesus is literally saying, I am enough for you. I am am enough for you. It's it's the banner that hangs over every second of the Christian's life. Jesus is enough for you right now. Every second of the Christian life, if you are hidden in Christ, if he is your savior over your life, is Jesus is enough for you right now. In the original language, language, this meaning, this verb means it's a, it's a present, active, ongoing reality. A never-ending reality for those who are in Christ. It's saying Jesus' grace is the same yesterday, the same today in this very moment, and it will be the same forever. Jesus is saying to you, brother and sister, in Christ this morning, that there will never be a moment in your life, a trial too terrible, a chemo you will walk through, a relationship that will be so heavy, a loss that seems too much of a burden, that his grace will not be enough for you in that moment. You don't always feel that way. But it is the truth. His grace is enough for you. Charles Spurgeon one time was talking to his grandfather one day. And he was telling his grandfather, you know what? If I ever became a martyr, I don't think I could handle it. I don't think that I could face the pain of persecution at all. And Spurgeon's grandfather said, you know what? You're right. I I don't think you could face it. It's encouraging grandfather, right? (laughs) I don't think you can do it. Yeah, you're right. Very encouraging. But then his grandfather added this. But on that day, you could. Because God always gives dying grace to his people in their dying need. God always gives grace. Dying grace to his people in their dying need. Too often, maybe as believers, we we think of God's grace only as giving us forgiving grace. 
for our past sins. And praise the Lord that he does that, right? Amen. You should shake your head like this if you agree with me. Because God's forgiving grace is what we as desperate, great sinners need to be forgiven of our sins, to ever be in heaven, to have God's wrath no longer hanging over us. But grace is God supplying whatever you need that you don't deserve, that you cannot supply for yourself. So it's a lot more than just forgiving grace. God's grace doesn't stop when we're saved. No, God's grace is an ever-flowing fountain for his people. Yes, we need God's saving grace, but we need his sustaining grace. And we need his empowering grace. And we need his calming grace and his supporting grace and his comforting grace and his all-satisfying grace in our lives. I don't need that when I come to faith in Christ alone. I need that every moment of my life. You know, one of the sobering daily reminders we all face when we wake up in the morning is that we are insufficient. We are insufficient. There is an insufficiency in us every day, whether it be facing indwelling sin that we can't put to death or facing some kind of sickness that we don't think we'll ever be healed from or facing a difficult relationship or a weakness that's evident in our life. It's a daily reminder that we are not enough. We're not enough. There's a gap between who we are and who we want to be. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you all have a gap. There's a gap between who you are right now in this moment and who you want to be. But the worst thing that you can do today is to try to fill that gap with more of you. It's the worst thing that you could do is try to fill that gap with more to you, to to try hard to make something happen, to fill that gap with yourself. And I'm going to be honest and confess that that's my temptation every day when I wake up. Like if I have a hard day, if if I face a trial, I think to myself, well, you just wait till tomorrow. I'm going to suffer better than anybody you've ever seen. I'm, I'm going to make things happen. I'm going to make something happen. Just wait till you see my to-do list. You will be so impressed. And then the next day, my, my joy is rooted in what I can make happen. Or it's robbed every time I come up empty. But this, this passage is teaching us that Jesus wants to fill that gap with himself. That, that Jesus wants to give you more of himself, more of his grace. Actually, the gap is a grace. A daily reminder that you're not enough. A daily reminder that you need Jesus. A daily reminder that I'm not the answer to my greatest need, which is sin. Or even the simplest need, which is breathing. 
I'm not the answer. Jesus is. Whether it's Monday morning, whether it's next week or next month or 10 years from now, when you fill this gap, I want you to remember the words that Jesus is saying to you, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you right now. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians, when Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? The answer every time is Jesus. Finally, I want us to see our weakness in God's power. The last thing any of us want to, people to see is our weakness. We do everything we can to hide weakness. Even on social media. Social media, most of the time, is just trying to curate an image that we want to present. It's an edited image. It's not by accident that it's usually all smiles. That it's the sweetest memories, right? That, that it's like our highlight reel for the week, usually. And this is life in general, though. We, we are curating an image that hides weakness and tries to display strength. Even church can be this way, right? Sadly, in church, we display our strengths to be liked rather than displaying our weakness to be loved. We display our strengths to be liked rather than displaying our weaknesses to be loved. I mean, some of you in here right now, maybe you're not saved. You're not a believer in Christ simply because you think you're strong enough without Jesus. You haven't confessed yet that you are weak. You are desperate. You are helpless without a Savior named Jesus Christ who would come to you in your weakness and die on a cross for all your sins and rise again to give you life eternally. Today, the, don't hide your weakness. Confess your weakness and run to Jesus. But let me ask you, let me ask all of us, when's the last time that you led with weakness in a conversation? When's the last time you didn't start with strength, start, start with something impressive, something you did on your own that you didn't need anybody else, where it's clear that you get the credit, you get the glory? When's the last time you started with weakness, with your desperate need for Jesus' power in your life? Let me ask it even simpler. When's the last time you asked for help? like really asked for help. Not asking for help because you want to teach your kids something, you know, in the wood shop. Not, not asking for help because you want to include others. That's the nice thing to do, to include others. But because you really need it. You really see your need for help outside of yourself. We want so badly to to be the one that people count on, the, the one that people always turn to, the one that has all the answers, who shows zero weakness. We want to be strong enough. 
And you know, in all of this, here's the thing. We don't think we're the only ones embarrassed by our weakness. We think God is embarrassed by our weakness too. You think that God is embarrassed that you're weak. And that's why we live like God wants us to be strong. And so I'm going to try harder to be strong. So, so he maybe will be happy with me because of the strength that I can produce. Or, or we live like God just puts up with our weakness. He just overcomes our shortcomings and our weakness. But here's one thing that struck me this week from this passage. God wants your weakness. God desires your weakness. Your weakness is not a liability to God. Your weakness doesn't get in the way of his best plans. No, our weakness is the way. It is the way that we get to experience his power and display his glory. I mean, how freeing is that for you, Christian, that you don't have to hide anymore? Your weakness is not a weakness to God. He wants it. He wants your weakness. Listen to verse 9 and 10 again. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why does he do this? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He doesn't hide his weaknesses. No, he boasts in them. He rejoices in them. Because through them, he experiences the power of Jesus on his life. He says, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. I'm strong in Jesus. I had a friend in college who got talked into selling knives at ladies' parties. Sounds like a great job if you're looking for a job. And it, he would go into these parties full of ladies, and the idea was to grab a thick rope and to grab one of these knives and ask this party full of ladies, who thinks this knife can cut this rope? Who thinks this knife can cut this rope? And see, the trick in his mind was to select the weakest looking woman in the room. The weakest, maybe oldest somebody that everybody in the room would stop and say, there is no way she is cutting that knife. She is cutting that rope. There's no way. There's no way that it could happen. And in their minds, they're thinking, even if it works, it's abundantly clear that it's not this lady. It's the knife. It's abundantly clear that it's not this lady, it's the knife. In the same way, the Lord wants to use you and your weaknesses to make it abundantly clear that it's not you. 
He wants to use you and your weaknesses to make it abundantly clear that it's not you. It is his glorious power working in you so that he gets all the glory, so he gets all the credit. That's why Paul says, I'm content with weakness. I'm content with insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. Like the Greek is actually a lot stronger. Here's what he's really saying. I'm happy with my weakness. I love insults. I delight in hardships. Why? Because it's only through them that I get the joy of experiencing the power of Jesus. It's only through them that I get to display his power so that he gets the glory as his power is resting upon me. Don't you want to experience that power? Don't you want to experience that power? It's not going to be through you showing your strength, leading with your strength, hiding your weakness. No, it's going to be that through your weakness, God gets the glory of having his power rest upon you. You know, what if the alternative of faster, higher, stronger is not actually slower, lower, and weaker? What if that's not it at all? What what if the question, church, is this? Do you want to be strong or do you want Jesus? Do you want to be strong or do you want Jesus? Because what God really wants is he doesn't want your strength. He wants your weakness so that he can lavish more of the grace and power of Jesus on your life. Where in your suffering, God wants to make you more like Jesus. And in your insufficiency, God wants to give you more of Jesus. And in your weakness, God wants you to experience the power of Jesus. That's what God wants. Is that what you want today? Less of me more of Jesus. Less of me, more of Jesus. Less of me, more of Jesus. For his great glory and my great joy. Let's pray. Father, we ask, O Lord, in your kindness that you would convince us of our weakness. Lord, in your kindness that you would Show us not our enoughness, but, Lord, the enoughness of Jesus. That we would see that, Lord, we are not sufficient for these things, but Jesus and his grace is more than enough for us. And, Lord, I pray that you would show us, even in the midst of the greatest trial, the greatest loss, the greatest suffering, Lord, when we experience a thorn in our flesh, Lord, it's not, it's not that you're doing nothing, Lord. It's that you are drawing us to Jesus. You are making us look like Jesus. 
Lord, for the glory of your name. So, Lord, would you help us today as your people? Would you help us run to Jesus again? We don't want to be strong. Lord, help us not want to be strong. Help us want Jesus and his surpassing power that we get to experience through his life, death, and resurrection. Lord, give us Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.